We're going to ask for God's help now as we come to his word, and I'm going to use an old hymn to to do that, but let's pray together. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Let your bright light arise. Remove the darkness from our minds and open all our eyes. Cheer our discouraged hearts, O heavenly counselor, and let us sit with humble hope at our Redeemer's feet. Revive our weakened faith, our doubts and fears remove, and kindle in our hearts the flames of never-dying love. Convince us of our sin, then lead to Jesus' blood, and to our fallen hearts reveal the gracious love of God. You only cleanse the heart and sanctify the soul and pour fresh life in every part and new create the whole. Dwell, therefore, in our hearts, our minds from bondage free. Then we shall know and praise and love through all eternity. Amen. I wonder if you've ever been caught out by a deal that seemed great at the time but turned out to be too good to be true. You know the sort of thing, you you get yourself in and you're hooked, it's too late to go back, and then you realize it was a bit different from what you expected. A few years ago, um, just shortly before the pandemic, um, my wife, Justine, won a Facebook competition for a free photo shoot with a fairly prestigious photographer in North Antrim. And the deal was that the photo shoot was free, it would last for an hour, and we would have £100 towards whatever we wanted to buy after that. So we went up for this photo shoot. Uh, We had lots of fun, um, but we didn't get to do it until COVID had calmed down a bit. But we did it. It was great. It was fun. And a few days later, Justine and I went and looked at all these uh, photos of our family. That was lots of fun too. And when we looked at the pictures on screen, we chose the ones we wanted. And we were taken out into this hallway where there were samples of what they could give us up on the wall. This one is 600. This one is 800, this one is 1200, and so on. Free photo shoot. Suddenly we were in and we were committed. We'd done the photos, we'd chosen the ones we wanted, and we were in a real hole. Now, if you know my wife Justine, you'll know that she's pretty good uh, when it comes to negotiating. And so we ended up getting something sorted, but it was quite a tricky spot because we don't just have that sort of money lying around. Free photo shoot? Well, sort of but definitely not thought we were signing up for. I wonder if sometimes as Christians we think the Holy Spirit is a wee bit like that. You know, you become a Christian and you know God is your Father. Uh, You come to know Jesus and you're in love with Him. He saved you. You're overwhelmed by His love for you. Somebody might have mentioned somewhere along the way that the Holy Spirit was working in the background in your heart to make it all happen, but you probably didn't pay a lot of attention to that. Holy Spirit, what's that? Is he some sort of optional extra then? Is he something we didn't sign up for when we came to faith? Or maybe you sort of know a bit about the Holy Spirit, but you think, I'm not sure that's really for me. When you think of the Holy Spirit, you think of those charismatic churches with the lights. It's usually a purple light for the Holy Spirit. Just watch out for that. It's a purple light, and and there's smoke, and, and there's passion, and emotions, and worship, and people raising their hands, and all the rest of it. And you think, that's okay, but it's not for me. I'm a Presbyterian, I don't like that sort of thing. 
Now, it's true that some of us might only have heard about the Holy Spirit after we came to faith. That's, that wouldn't be unusual. But it is the Spirit who moves in us, who convinces us and convicts us of our sin. He gives us new life. He gives us a new heart. And He lives in us as we follow Jesus. But the problem about thinking about the Holy Spirit in this kind of marginalized way that it's maybe for somebody else or as something optional, as something that you didn't quite bargain for, is that you end up with a gospel about a loving father who sends his son into the world, and we kind of know what the Spirit's doing. We, we know some of the right answers about convicting us of sin and, and guiding us and speaking to us as we come to the Word, but we don't really talk about him. If you were sharing your faith with somebody, I wonder, would you mention the Holy Spirit? I suspect we might, we might talk about Jesus and the cross, but I'm not sure we would speak about the Holy Spirit but I'm not sure we're right in that. Because actually the Spirit of God is the first member of the Trinity who is mentioned in the Bible. And saying that, it's right at the start. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was on the face of the waters, or he was hovering above the waters, depending on your translation. And God said, let there be light, and so on. He is the member of the Trinity who's mentioned right at the beginning. He's the one who's involved in Jesus coming into the world. Remember after Mary got pregnant and the angel came to Joseph because he was thinking about divorcing her. And the angel says to Joseph, no, what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. He's the one who descended on Jesus at the start of his earthly ministry. We read about it. He's the one who John experienced in Patmos as he was lifted up in the Spirit and given these visions that we have in the book of Revelation. So the Holy Spirit definitely isn't some kind of add-on, and, and he shouldn't be so unexpected because from Genesis to Revelation, he's right there. And so as we ask the question together tonight, who is the Holy Spirit? I want to suggest to you a very, very simple answer, and that is that the Holy Spirit is God. Now, that might seem really, really simple, and we're going to unpack that together, but the Holy Spirit, first and foremost, is God. And I think that part of our problem with not quite understanding the Spirit is that we don't actually understand that God as Trinity of Father, Son, and Spirit is actually one God. We're too keen to split off and separate into different parts, which is a theologically problematic word when you're talking about God, but, but we're keen to split into Father, Son, and Spirit, and we forget, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, the Trinity is who God is, and remember that God is incomprehensible. We'll never get to the bottom of explaining and understanding the Trinity. But there are two things revealed about the Trinity that, that I think will help us here. And the first is just what I've been saying, that at the same time, He is three and He is one, ever three and ever one. Now, sometimes people like to come up with lots of clever ways of describing God, of describing the Trinity. Um, some people come up with the, the idea of an egg. You've maybe seen some of these. Maybe you've, you've seen some of them in Sunday school. I, I certainly remember the, the shamrock from Sunday school. But, you know, the egg, the shell, the white and the yolk, three parts, but still one egg. Well, you know, 
okay, um, or the shamrock, as I say, or, or water, you know, ice, liquid, and, and gas, steam, you know, but, and it's the idea that, that one part, the shell, or one leaf of the shamrock is the father, one part's the son, one part's the spirit. Now, all of those things might teach us something about the Trinity, um, but they're also all heresy, so, so don't run with them, okay? We can't use the egg or the shamrock because God isn't made of parts, okay? That's, that's a doctrine called divine simplicity. God is simple in, in the sense that he's not complex, made up of different parts. He, God is one. God is one. He's not made up of parts. So the Spirit can't go off and do his own thing over there while the Father and the Son are somewhere else. God is one. And the water thing, well, that's an old heresy called modalism. Um, I, I can't help but think when I, when I think of that word modalism, there's a great sort of spoof video on the internet of, um, I think it's St. Patrick and these two Irish guys explaining all these heresies of the Trinity to him. And they, they're like, oh no, Patrick, that's modalism. Um, and, but basically all it says is that, you know, God is one, but sometimes, you know, he might appear as ice or he might appear as water or steam. You know, he sometimes appears as Father or as the Son or as the Spirit. But that's just no good because the Bible tells of them coexisting in several places. The most visual place that we see that is what we read in Mark. You know, the Father speaks, this is my Son. The Son is in the River Jordan being baptized and the Spirit descends on him like a dove. So those things aren't any use to us. God is incomprehensible and incomparable. In Isaiah 40, we read the words, with whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? And the implied answer in those questions is that you can't. God is God and nothing is like God. No one is like God. God is always one and always three at the same time. Um, this is probably the best that anybody has ever come up with. Um, but it, it, don't worry, I don't know how well you can read that down there. But the Father is God, the Son is God, the Holy Spirit is God, but the Father is not the Spirit, the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Spirit. There's no mixing, there's no overlapping, they're all God, but they're also all separate entities, always three and always one. It's in his name. At the end of Matthew's gospel, Jesus says, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Not the names of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and not the name of the Father and the name of the Son and the name of the Spirit. No, it's one name, God is one, but the name is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's a mystery. He's three, he's plural, and he's one at the same time. At Christmas time, we often read from John chapter one, don't we? In the beginning was the word, Jesus, and the Word was with God, okay, so there's at least two of them, and the Word was God. There's only one of them, plural and singular at the same time. If you can get your mind around that, you're welcome to come up um, and, and take this microphone from me and continue because I can't explain it. But that's the first thing, okay? He's always three and he's always one at the same time. That's about who he is. But the second thing that will help us when we think about the Trinity is it, it's not just that who God is is always three and always one, but also what God does is always three and always one. Now, that takes a bit more getting your head around, and there are, doc, there are um, fancy words for this too. I think it's the doctrine of divine appropriation. 
and the doctrine of inseparable operations. Don't worry about that. The idea is that it, it's perfectly okay to speak of them separately. The Father did this. The Son did that. The Spirit did the other. That's fine. That's appropriate because that's how the Bible talks about it. But it's also important to remember that when one does something, essentially the three have done it. You can't separate them up. So, for example, if I asked you the question, who died on the cross? Not a trick question. Which member of the Trinity died on the cross? The Son. I told you it wasn't a trick question. Yes, the Son of God shed His blood on the cross. But in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, Paul says that the church was bought with the blood of God. He doesn't say the blood of Christ. He doesn't say the blood of Jesus. He says that it's God's own blood. It's perfectly appropriate for us to say that the Son of God shed His blood. You wouldn't say the Father shed His blood or the Spirit shed their blood. And yet you can't just separate it off. It's the blood of God. Another example, I suppose, would be in creation. So we've already mentioned that the Spirit of God was there um, on the face of the deep or, or hovering over the waters, however you want to translate that. And just as a wee uh, aside, the, the thing to grasp there is that the, the waters or, or the sea is a, an old Hebrew idiom for the idea of chaos. Quite often in the Old Testament, um, you'll, in the prophets particularly, you'll hear of God um, saying that He will lead people through the waters or that the breakers won't overcome His people. And that's because it's a metaphor for chaos, for trouble, those choppy waves. It, and so it's also why in Revelation 21, in that picture of the New Jerusalem, it says that there's no sea. It, it essentially means that there's going to be no more trouble, no more chaos. I don't know if that means that literally there won't be any sea or, or whether there will or it's just a metaphor. I don't know. I suppose I'll find out one day. But the point is that it's the Spirit who is hovering over the waters. It's the Spirit who is going to bring that chaos into some kind of created order. But at the same time, we probably think of the Father as the Creator, don't we? The Lord, Yahweh, is, is described as the Creator in the Old Testament. He's revealed as Israel's father, so that makes sense, the one who created the heavens. In the New Testament, in James, we read that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the father of the heavenly lights, the father who made the heavenly lights. And again, in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word with God and God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. So who made everything? Well, God did, but according to John, it was the Word, the Son. Paul says the same thing in Colossians 1. He says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in Him all things were created, things in heaven, things on earth, visible and invisible, and so on. So who's the Creator? The Father of lights, the Son through whom everything was made, or the Spirit who was hovering over the waters, who would bring chaos into order? Well, you can't separate them. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. I think that's intentionally vague. In the beginning, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit created the heavens and the earth. So God, in who he is, he's always one, and he's always three. And in the things he does, sometimes it is appropriate to say one person out of the Trinity did them, but it's also always three you can't separate them. God is one. 
Sorry, that was the wrong way around. I should have said one of the three, but God is always one. But I'm sure you're, you were way ahead of me on that. God is three and God is one. It's appropriate to say the Father, Son, Spirit does something, but they don't do their own things. We even had it in John 14. Jesus said, you know, don't you believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Jesus says he, do the th- he does the things that he sees his Father doing. Jesus did no miracles in his life apart from the Spirit of God who descended on him. So, let's come back to the question because we've gone a long way off in one direction, but what does this mean as we ponder the question, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, it's essentially this. If you know God as your Father, then you know the Holy Spirit. If you know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and if you're following Him, then you know the Holy Spirit. You might not have expressed it in those terms before, but He's not, he's not an add-on. He's not something that you find as you're led out into that corridor with all these things on the wall, and you're thinking, wow, I didn't get myself in for this. We can't just follow Jesus and forget about the Spirit. He's the Spirit of the Father. He's the Spirit of the Son. God spoke through the prophets by the Spirit. He said, I will sprinkle you and wash you clean. I will give you a new heart. I'll write my law in your hearts, and I will put my Spirit within you, and I'll remember your sins no more. There God is speaking as Father. It's the Spirit of the Father. And in the New Testament, both Luke and Paul call the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of the Son. So if you know Jesus, you know the Spirit. If God's your Father today, you know the Spirit. Now, if you're seeking God today, if you're here tonight and you're not yet a Christian, you may be interested in who Jesus is, or you're searching and think he might be of interest to you, and he most certainly is, but if he becomes your Savior, he will live in you. And the way he will do that is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. One of the early church fathers, Basil the Great, he said this, what does the Spirit do? His works are ineffable in majesty and innumerable in quantity. How can we even ponder what extends beyond the ages? What did he do before creation began? How great are the graces he showered on creation? What power will he wield in the age to come? He existed, he pre-existed, he coexisted with the Father and the Son before the ages. Even if you can imagine anything beyond the ages, you will discover the Spirit is even further beyond. It's maybe too small for you to read, but, but put simply, the Holy Spirit is the eternal God, ineffable in majesty. It, his work's innumerable in quantity. The Spirit isn't a, a power, certainly not something in a purple light, not an impersonal force. He's not an, a that or an it. He's a he, a him and a who. The Holy Spirit is God, ever three and ever one. So it's appropriate to talk about Father, Son, and Spirit. We do that a lot. I've done that a lot tonight. But they're inseparable. They are one. I suppose a simple way of summarizing all that we've said so far, I I quote a friend of mine who says this, and he, he does say it reverently. He says, you know, I tend to find that when I pray, it doesn't matter which one of the three I speak to. All three show up. Now, 
you might think that's slightly irreverent or, or, or not quite the right way to say it, but, but it's not wrong. God our Father loves us. It's good to praise him for that. Jesus died for us and he rose again and won a victory for us. It's good to praise him for that. He promised to always be with us, to be our savior and our friend. So we can talk to him directly. It's good to sing to him. We often do that. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. He didn't say, come to the Father. He said, come to me. And it's the same with the Spirit. As Presbyterians, we might do this less than other people. We might feel uneasy about doing it, but it's good to talk to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, come and convict that person that I've been praying about. Convict them of their sin. Open their eyes so that they can see Jesus. Give them new life in Christ. We do it we, when we sing quite often. You know, we sing the song, Oh, church, arise and put your armor on. The last verse, so spirit come, put strength in every stride. And actually, this has been done all through the history of the church. If you're into such things, um, John Owen's Communion with God, which is one of the most famous Christian works ever written, is all about knowing God as Father, Son, and Spirit, and using each of those to deepen your relationship with Him by speaking directly to each one. You actually get a fuller sense of who God is. It's good to speak with God in a way that corresponds with what we know each person has done as they work in our lives. But as we do that, we speak to one God, one God. So in a sense, it doesn't matter which one we speak to because we speak to all three. Now, I'm trying my best tonight. That This wasn't particularly easy to prepare because I've been trying my best not to stray into what the Holy Spirit does because Patty's going to explain all of that next week um, in, in its fullness. Pray for Patty. Um, but I realize that all of this might be it's a bit theological, isn't it? It's a bit abstract. You might say, well, okay, I get that. I, I get that God's always three and he's always one and these things are at the same time. But as I relate to the Holy Spirit, how does knowing who he is help me? So I suppose to make it just a little bit more concrete, I want to spend our last few moments this evening looking at John 14. It's that very well-known portion of scripture where Jesus promises his disciples the gift of the Holy Spirit as he comforts them. And in particular, if you look with me at verse 16, Jesus says this, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Now that word that describes the Spirit, the, the counselor the NIV goes for, um, it's a difficult word to translate. If you have a different translation in front of you, you, you know, you might have helper or advocate um, or comforter even. Um, the word behind it is the word paraclete, parakletos in Greek. It's a word, counselor, comforter, helper, advocate. It's all of those things. We don't have a word in English really for it. But I don't want to get hung up on that tonight. It's actually the word before it which I want to think about this evening, which is the word another, another. The Father will give you another paraclete, however we decide to translate that. In other words, you've already got a paraclete. I'm going to send you another one, the Holy Spirit, Jesus says to the disciples. So Jesus is the first paraclete. 
And that makes sense because for the disciples, he is their teacher and comforter. He's comforting them here. He's their helper, counselor, advocate, and the Father will send another. So, what is that counselor going to do? Well, verse 17, he's the spirit of truth. But Jesus has just said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Immediately after that, in verse 18, Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Now, orphans are children who are missing their parents. So, Jesus is claiming to be the disciples' father there. And how is he going to come to them? Well, he's going to send the Spirit. He's going to ask the Father to send the Spirit. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Do you see it there? Jesus is saying, look, I won't leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. So, I am your Father. I am the Son. I'm sending you the Spirit. Verse 26, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Who taught them all those things? Jesus did. Now the Spirit's going to teach them all things and remind them of what Jesus told them. So having the Holy Spirit is simply living with Jesus. Having the Spirit is not to be left as orphans, but to know God as our Father. Again, it's coming up to Christmas. I couldn't resist Isaiah chapter 9. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. We've just been reading about a counselor, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Jesus is the counselor, the, the one coming, the Holy Spirit, and he is the Everlasting Father. Now, the fact that you and I as Christians have the Holy Spirit living in us means that just as those disciples in those upper room had Jesus physically standing in front of them, we share this place today in the presence of the living Lord Jesus Christ, the way, the truth, the life, the one who can give us peace that the world doesn't and, and, and can't give us. The Holy Spirit keeps pointing us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit keeps teaching us, leading us into truth, and so we can say that Jesus is teaching us. The Holy Spirit keeps us in our Father's care. The Holy Spirit shows us the way of our God, Jesus, the truth found in Jesus, and the life which the Father has given us by sending Jesus. So the Holy Spirit is God. He's a person in the Godhead. He's eternal and holy and omnipotent and omniscient and omnipresent and worthy of praise and honor and glory, and He lives in us. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He's the presence of Jesus living in us. He's the love of God our Father living in us. He's the wind of God who is our comforter and our guide. I could encourage you one thing as you go away this week, it's as you, as you talk to God throughout the week as you pray, don't forget the Holy Spirit. Don't neglect Him. Maybe for some of you that that will be a first step. Maybe it'll be the first time. Maybe some of you have been speaking to the Holy Spirit, your whole Christian walk, asking Him to guide you. But this week, just be especially um, conscious of Him. 
Realize that he is the presence of Jesus living in you. Ask him. Ask him to point you to Jesus. Ask him to help you walk with Jesus. Ask him to remind you often that the God of eternity loves you and lives in you and will bring you home into the presence of Jesus and to life in all its fullness. Let's pray together. Our God, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. Lord, we know that we cannot fathom you. We cannot comprehend you. For us, it is not possible for one being to be both one being and three at the same time. And yet, Lord, we give you praise for that you have revealed yourself to us in the Scriptures as God, Father, Son, and Spirit, that perfect community of love and fellowship. And Lord, we praise you for the words that we read from Jesus earlier on, that just as he is in the Father, so we are in him. And so you bring us into communion and relationship with God, Father, Son, and Spirit. So Lord, help us as we leave here, Lord, as we have been thinking about this heavy, maybe slightly abstract theology, Lord, help us to know truly, experientially, and, and presently the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, for some of us that might be coming to Jesus as weary and heavy laden people. O Spirit of God, draw us to Christ. Lord, for some of us it might be guidance that we're seeking and what to do in a particular situation or even a big life choice. Spirit of God, point us to Christ. Point us to his way. Lord, for all of us, help us to live in the power of the Spirit, to keep in step with him as we follow Jesus every day of our lives. Amen.